I have kept the faith. I don't want to be disqualified because I tried to do it my way. The Bible says I can say. Now there is stored up for me the crown of righteousness. The righteous judge will award to me on that day and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for that appearing. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And then he begins to build on that. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Well, now that's another strange one. What does that mean? Happy are the sad? That makes a lot of sense. If you've been through grief, you know what it means to mourn. Why? What is he getting at here? Blessed are those who have this deep grief? I think it's more. I think he's reminding us that when you realize you're spiritually bankrupt, the only natural response is sorrow before God. That's what happens when we see our sinfulness. That's why the Apostle Paul, and we just walked where he walked in Greece and and traced his steps. and, And you see how God used this one man, and yet he would describe himself as the chief of sinners. How in the world would he get there? Because the closer you get to Jesus and his holiness, the more you see of your desperation and your wickedness. And it breaks your heart. Jesus is talking about getting to the place where your heart is broken over the thing that breaks his. So you mourn. It's not that you're sad because you were busted. You're caught. No, it's you're grieving because you recognize you are busted. You're a wreck. You're torn apart. As I look at our society today, I can't help but think that many of us have stopped mourning over our sinfulness. In fact, I would go a step further and say even in the church, we blush over many things. Not like we should. Things that used to embarrass us, things that used to bring guilt and shame to us, we've now begun to tolerate I think it's what Paul was talking about in 2 Corinthians 7 when he says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leads no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. It's one thing to say, yeah, I'm sad. I'm sad that I got caught. I'm sad that I caused this pain. It's another thing to feel sorrow and mourn because you've broken the heart of God. So a quick question. We're taking a journey. When's the last time you felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit over sinfulness in your life? Because, I don't know if I need to remind you, but we're all sinners, right? Even if you're a follower of Christ, it doesn't mean you became sinless. Hopefully you begin to sin less. We'll talk about that in a moment, but we're sinners. And, and so when we sin, the Holy Spirit of God in us, God is living in us. We are the temple of God. And when we sin, oh, the conviction of the Holy Spirit begins to rub and there begins to be a friction and, and we begin to recognize this is not okay. And this builds on the third thing. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. 
What does it mean to be meek? Is that weakness? Is that you walk around and you act like a pushover? And you just never state your opinion or kind of just stay in the background? No. And in fact, this definition is quite different. Meek is a word that literally means strength or power under control. It's a word that was used to describe that bridle in the horse's mouth. The horse, one of the most powerful of all animals that can be controlled with reins connected to a bridle simply even at the hands of a child. The smallest of human beings on the back of a horse with the reins in their hands have power under control. So Jesus is referring to in meekness something that the Bible calls repentance. It's metanoia, a change of your volition, of your will. It's I'm going this way, I'm the boss, everything's in my will, but I recognize that's not okay. And so I make a change of mind and I begin to follow Christ and I go 180 degrees in a different direction. I repent. I yield control of my life to Jesus. Now I told you, I think this is describing the disciples journey. And I think along the journey, this is the moment of salvation. And some of you will recognize it. How did I get there? First, I recognize that I'm a wretch. I'm poor in spirit. I'm I'm impoverished. I'm bankrupt spiritually. I can't do this on my own. And then I begin to realize why. It's because I'm a sinner, and that breaks the heart of God. And I'm, I'm mourning my sin, but I don't just stay in that guilt and shame. I yield my life to Christ. I give him control, and he saves me. Aren't you grateful, church, for the salvation of God? And what does the Bible call this? It calls it justification. You're saved from the penalty of your sin. So all of us are born sinners. We're separated from God. That sin has to be punished. And the Bible even tells us that the punishment for sin is death. But Jesus went to the cross to take our death, to take our punishment. And when he did that, And I look to him for forgiveness. I am justified. I am saved. That word justified, I will remind you, it means it's just as if I'd never sinned and just as if I've always obeyed. So if you're a follower of Christ, you were saved, right? You were justified. That's justification. Now, the Bible also talks about salvation in two other phases. It says there's sanctification. Sanctification is when I'm being saved. That's what we're going to begin to talk about in the Beatitudes now. I'm being saved from the power of sin. So as I said a moment ago, I'm not yet fully like Jesus, but I'm becoming more and more like him. Sin has less and less power in my life. If sin doesn't have less and less power in my life, something's broke back here at justification. But if I've been justified, I'm now being sanctified and praise the name of Jesus. One day I will be glorified. Glorification means I'll be saved from the presence of sin. I'll no longer be tempted to sin anymore. Aren't you thankful for the promise of heaven and the promise of glorification? Well, Jesus has told us how to be justified. Now he's showing us how to be sanctified. He says, 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. The beginning of the sanctification process is hungering and thirsting after those things that God wants you to hunger and thirst after. Your priorities are changing. Your desires are changing. You begin to want what Jesus wants. It's like the woman in the well who came to Jesus and, and, and she says, I'm thirsty. And he said, woman, if, if you knew the kind of water that I would have, you would take my water and you would never thirst in that way again. It's beginning to understand that God has given you everything you need in him. My God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. And so I hunger and thirst after the things of him. I'm not saying every day you wake up and go, whoopee, it's time to have my quiet time. No, sometimes that's a discipline. Sometimes that's a habit that you do because you know you need to be in the habit. But he is saying that the more you do the things of God, the more you hunger and thirst after the things of God. Righteousness is not simply the activity that you do as a follower of Christ. It's the identity. It's who you are as a follower of Christ. And because my identity is in Christ, then my activity begins to change. And according to Jesus, this is the key to satisfaction. We empty our lives before him. We yield to him. And then he fills us. That's what Jesus does. He fills empty things. And maybe if you're living your life and and you sense that you don't feel like you're filled with the Spirit of God, then maybe you're too full of yourself or the things of this world. And the things of this world will never satisfy. You can get you a new house, but that won't fill you. You can get you a new car, that won't fill you. You can get you a new job, that won't fill you. You can even get you a new wife, but that won't fill you. But when you hunger and thirst after righteousness, that begins to fill you from the inside out. You just want more of him. See if I can illustrate this. A couple months, we'll do again in this country what we do every November. We'll celebrate Thanksgiving. And we'll do that as only Americans can. With a feast. And at some point in your day, we'll have spread out across a big old table. If you're living right, you'll have turkey, probably fried in some hot grease. And you'll have some good cornbread dressing, some green bean casserole, some sweet potatoes with so much sugar and pecans on top. Might even have some fried okra and some homemade biscuits. Can I get a witness, church? I mean... And you'll eat so much, you'll think, man, I've never eaten so much. You'll just stay at that table, you'll put in some pumpkin pie. You'll say, oh, I'm done. You'll raise the white napkin. Say, that's it. And then because turkey has a drug in it, you'll go take a nap. And you'll think you could never eat again. But then you'll wake up. You know what's on your mind? That turkey and dressing and green beans thank you Jesus why? because your appetite has bred more appetite I questioned whether or not I was going to do this with my mama present but on Friday she celebrated her 87th birthday 
I think you reach an age where it's actually a good thing to tell your age. And we have a little tradition in our house. We go around the table in our room and, and we share what we love about that special person that we're celebrating that day. We were at Cheesecake Factory on Friday evening and we went around the table and, and all of us that were there, in some way, one of the things we came back to is my mom's faith. Her, the way she models her trust in the Lord. Now, I've seen that all my life. But I'm going to tell you what I encountered Saturday. Sorry, Mom. Don't want to embarrass you. I called to check on Mom, and I could tell she was kind of emotional. I said, Mom, you okay? This is what she said. Yeah, honey. I've just been spending some time with the Lord. And she said, all I want is just to be more like Jesus. I just want to get more of Him in my life. I want everything He's got for me. I want to experience the things that he experienced when he walked and talked. You know what that is, church? That's hungering and thirsting after righteousness. That's not letting your age or your stage of life dictate what it looks like, but it's saying, God, I want to live in such a way that my appetite for you grows every day of my life. I want you to understand you were made for more what Jesus is trying to say. So I'm justified and now I'm beginning to be sanctified. And as I'm sanctified, just like in the Ten Commandments, my outlook moves from just being vertical to God to looking out horizontally at how I treat other people. You know, Moses went up on the mountain and he got the Ten Commandments. Jesus is the better Moses. He goes up on the mountain and he gives us this sermon and these beatitudes. And in this, he does the same thing. He said, first of all, you got to get right with God. But after you're right with God, you don't have an excuse for not being right for others. So he says in verse 7, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. You know what mercy is? It's not getting what you deserve. Now let's rewind. We said we're all sinners, right? This means yes, class. We're all sinners. What's the punishment for sin? What do we deserve? But the Bible says that God in his mercy gives us forgiveness and grace. Jesus is saying once you've experienced my mercy, you better start treating others differently. I want to just make this real simple for you and make it practical this week. And then maybe next week I'll I'll ask you, did you do this? But you're going to come in contact with people that that look suspicious. You're going to come in contact with people this week that have done you wrong. You're going to come across people that you think, "Are, are these guys talking about me? You know, I'm an insecure person. We're in football season now, American football and I don't know if I go to a football game and I see the the team huddled up. I wonder, are they talking about me? (laughs) You're going to see those kind of people that that you think are not treating you right. And here's what I'm going to challenge you to do. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Assume the best. And forgive easily. Because you've been forgiven. And forgiven people forgive people. Which builds on verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. 
Now, this is kind of confusing because we start out with a dirty heart, right? You've heard my story. I was talking to my buddy one day and talking about just sinful choices in my life. And I said, I don't understand. This is not my heart. And he says, yes, it is your heart. Your heart's exceedingly wicked and reminded me of that verse. But something happens when we become a Christ follower. It says in Ezekiel 36, I'll sprinkle clean water on you. You'll be clean and I'll cleanse you from impurity and from all idols. And I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. But yet... We look in the mirror, right? I hold up the mirror of God's word, and I know I am a Christ follower. If I died today, I would go to heaven instantly, and yet I don't think I have a pure heart all the time. Why is that? Because I got a messed up mind. That's why in Romans 12, in verse 1 and 2, it says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? By the renewing of your minds. That's why that psalm that we've now read aloud for the last two weeks in church, Psalm 5110, created me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Blessed are the pure at heart, for they begin to see God. See God for who he is. And then blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called the children of God. Now, this is an interesting one, because I think we think that means peacekeepers, and it doesn't. When you think about peacekeeper, you think about conflict. And, and it's not always good to be in conflict, but you can't always resolve conflict. Do you know that? That's why Titus, Paul says to Titus in, in that little letter, he says sometimes you've got to warn a person once, warn them twice, and then don't have anything to do with them. There's some people you can't resolve the conflict and you can't bring about peace in every relationship. So that's not what this is talking about. What is he talking about? A peacemaker. Well, what's the most important peace that we have in life? Peace with God. I'll never have peace with others until I've had peace with God. So blessed are the peacemakers. Why? Because the peacemakers are called the children of God. When you make peace with God, it changes everything. So what is Jesus saying? When you're living this sanctified life, part of what you're required to do is to be a person who's telling other people about the peace of God through Jesus Christ. God expects you to pour out your life for the gospel every day, everywhere. The church in our society will never be what it needs to be until we get that in our minds. It's not just a preacher on a stage. It's the one who shares the gospel with people. It's you where you work. It's you where you live. It's you where you play. Sharing your testimony, your story of what Jesus has done through you. It's what our team is coming back from the Amazon having done this week. It's what others will do around the world. Pouring out our life for the gospel. And then he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We've walked through justification, we've walked through sanctification, and now he talks about glorification. In fact, he makes it real clear. Look at verse 11. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. By the way, 
Read that full sentence. He doesn't say when people insult you because you've been a jerk or because of you, but because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you, that's how they're persecuting you. Jesus begins to remind us of glorification. There will be a day where if you live out these first seven things, if you walk through this disciple's journey, there will be a a day where you're so different from the world that people begin to say, nah, I'm not going to have anything to do with you. That's why most every day I wear this little band that looks like a piece of barbed wire. Because I recognize that more people are persecuted for their faith today across the world than ever before in history. More people die today because of professing Christ than ever before in history. And that persecution is not that you didn't get the parking lot space you wanted because someone whipped them before you. And it's not even because you think you've been told you can't pray at school because you can pray anywhere you want. Persecution is when your life has been impacted in a negative way because of the hatred the enemy is casting upon you through some of his operatives. The Bible says if you begin to live for me, you're going to experience that. But that's not the end. That's the good part. This is not all there is. We will be glorified. So I want to live today with the end in mind. I don't want to quit before I finish the race. I want to be like the Apostle Paul who says, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I have kept the faith. I don't want to be disqualified because I tried to do it my way or cut corners. I want to make a difference for his glory. And when I do, the Bible says... I can say, now there is stored up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for that appearing. That's the finish line. I'm aiming for that opportunity where I see him face to face. This morning, my Bible reading took me to John 14, and I heard the words of Jesus say, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it weren't so, would I have told you so? But I'm going to prepare a place for you. And where I go, I'll I'll come again. He goes on to tell me, man, I'm going to leave you peace. It's unlike anything you've experienced in this world. But this world is not your home. Remember that Mexico City Marathon? It said all the people who were disqualified from the race were were found to cross the finish line in a fraudulent manner. Jesus ends this message saying, many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, but we cast out demons in your name. Lord, we performed miracles in your name. Lord, we went to church every Sunday. Lord, we even put stuff in the offering plate. Lord, we taught, we served. And yet Jesus would say, but you've done it in a fraudulent manner. You're disqualified. 
not been justified. You've not been sanctified. So you won't be glorified. I want to get this right. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. Be encouraged by The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. Weekdays at 9 a.m. on Faith Talk Tampa. Online at letstalkfaith.com.